Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Trying to just grab all, grab all the bags, as the kids say. Is that how they say it? I don't know. Whatever. You're taking shots at the unathletic, arthritic, <laughs> old alligator? I can't find anything now. I'm a feeble old buffoon. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Early start on a Thursday. Silver Sevens is the site. It's our home every Thursday throughout 2022 NCAA tournament. Well underway on this Thursday. Playing games the last two days, but now the main. He's going down. We'll get to how the Mountain West has done so far. We got uh, Memphis and Boise wrapping up. Tennessee playing Longwood. Iowa and Richmond going at it. And uh, Norfolk and Baylor as Baylor's up 29 with about three minutes left in that one. Adam Hill is here. He's the company. Dangerous Danny is helping us out running things back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. We come right out of the gates with all the hoops going on with football. Um, but I swear, and just so folks know, we're on until 4 o'clock today. Then we've got NCAA tournament action on ESPN Las Vegas. If you're looking for the tournament games right now, they're over on our fourth station. We have four sports stations. 12.30 a.m. is where the games are right now. I swear, every day this week, like I have to at least make the 13 to 22 minute trek to get to our show location every day this week while I was driving down something happened yeah and then and then later at night I'm like missed it like I came in I think it was on what day did uh now I'm blanking on what the hell the news was what was uh, early in the week there was it wasn't Chandler Jones there was another big uh oh it was you know what it was it was JC Jackson was that on Monday yeah. Right? J.C. Jackson. So I start out the show. I'm two minutes in. I'm like, okay, where's he going to go? And then, like, you know, in that zone where I was driving and not on the phone sitting there scrolling through Twitter or news feeds, Chargers have gotten J.C. Jackson. And then today we've got more Raiders news that just came down a little while ago. But Baker Mayfield, this whole saga is heating up because Bake puts out his goodbye letter the other day. Then the Browns want to talk to Deshaun Watson. Then it looks like Watson – and the Browns is not going to happen. And then Baker Mayfield in the last 10 minutes has now demanded a trade. Uh, I thought, well, you clearly missed something else as you were coming in. That's what I thought you were referring to. Uh, because Allen Robinson is had with the Rams in the last 30 seconds. Right. That was the, that was the big Raiders news. I was getting <laughs> Okay. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Because uh, it'll play to the theme I've been mentioning the last couple of days. Be careful of the sources you follow on the Raiders. Because... Every big name on list for cornerbacks and wide receivers has not landed with the Raiders. You know why? Because they were making a run at a couple of them, but most of them they were not. And as I pointed out yesterday on the show, did anyone put out that they were going after Chandler Jones? This is a Patriots-like regime. It's buttoned up. Not Patriots-like. It's the Patriots. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it's like like the Patriots, it's freaking you're not going to get – News leaks, you're not going to get a heads up on this stuff. But first of all, Baker Mayfield, this is just dynamite. His immaturity, he just cannot cram it down and just shut up for a couple days. There's so many layers to this because, I mean, you're right, that's on the surface. Um, 
it looks like Baker Mayfield has feelings hurt, and now he wants out, which is silly, because where's he going to go? I mean, there's options, uh, a couple places out there. But there was that report yesterday that came out that said the, the Browns want a, quote, adult at quarterback. Came out. You mean they leaked it? Sure. but then, to, to Mort. Sure. So they leaked it to further stir the pot, throw gas on the fire. But then... All of a sudden, the reaction by Baker Mayfield to the report of he's not an adult is to act like a child, right? Like, which is just complete, you know, backing up exactly what the report was. It, it's it's crazy. But here's the other aspect of this because we're we're going to get into Deshaun Watson, obviously, as well, and how that relates to it. I just saw a report now, and listen, I didn't read it. I just saw it as we're discussing this in the last ten seconds. So um, I'm just bringing this up right without noticing what the actual report is. But I just saw a tweet that said. Deshaun Watson turned down the Browns because he has character concerns about their front office. That would be awesome if true. Which, again, if we're going to all tie this together and say, well, they have a problem with Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield has a problem with them, and now Deshaun Watson has a problem with all of it. Like It's it's crazy how this how this all plays together. But we said this before, right, about about Haslam um, and, and about just the, the culture that was built up there. That people were like, we don't want to go there, and, and players know, and players talk, and they discuss those things, and um, it's it's crazy that all these things tie in and come back, you know, come back around. But you know, there they are, and the Browns now, if they're out of Deshaun Watson, uh, it sounded like what their response was is okay, let's let's commit to Baker Mayfield then as our quarterback once again, and Baker Mayfield says no, I'll, I'll pass. So now where do they go? And there's some options out there, but this is a Browns team that thinks that they are going to be able to compete with, you know, the the heavy hitters in the AFC, which it's getting silly in the AFC at this point. Um, we'll see what the first team is that says, we're out, we'll play for three years from now, but nobody's really doing it at this point. Uh, so I'm interested to see what the Browns end up doing. Do they make a big play now? Because I did see another thing yesterday. It was a, it was a chart that was put out. Uh, that listed all the teams in the NFL and who their starting quarterback is and whether or not there's a guarantee they're the starting quarterback week one. And the Raiders, Derek Carr was not in the guaranteed column. And I think that there is, you know, I, I think that the Raiders are kind of in the same boat of, hey, we're totally cool with Derek Carr as our quarterback. We're fine with it. But if the Browns were to come and blow them out of the water, would they be amenable to it? Probably. I think a lot of teams would. If you're gonna get if you're if you're gonna get into these sweepstakes and start throwing around these crazy offers, you would be stupid not to listen to teams. So there's a lot of moving pieces still in the quarterback market. I know a lot of people thought Deshaun Watson would kind of be the last domino, but I don't necessarily think that's the case. It's fun. This is the way it should be. I've never understood sure. why quarterbacks don't shop their wares and go to an actual organization they want to you know go to a good organization that they want to play for. Instead, they just keep re-upping in terrible situations. Now, Deshaun Watson's case is, is a weird one because of all the problems that he has with these allegations. Uh, today and yesterday, the Saints have restructured a bunch of their players, so they're trying to open up money. I, as of like six hours ago, I uh, was hearing they had like $29 million under the cap. They got to get well beyond like $35 million to get Watson in there. We know the Falcons had a meeting with him yesterday in Atlanta, and by the way, the Falcons have a deadline of Friday when they owe Matt Ryan a half million dollar bonus. So I'm sure all the teams want a decision pretty quickly here. 
But this is the story of the week in the National Football League is Deshaun Watson, who was forced to sit out a year, which is still freaking absurd. He should have been playing while not charged. So he's done with the grand jury, and as soon as everyone has a chance to get in bed with him, not pun intended, um, on the now, table. Now, now you've got all these teams lining up. It, it is really – well, I was going to say it's incredible, but it's not because he's a top-seven quarterback, and he's 26 years old. So teams are like, we don't get a chance at guys like this. We have to do everything we can, even if we just committed to Matt Ryan about 10 days ago, and he's owed $35 million. You say he's top-seven? He's top three. Yeah, I'm not doing this. Yeah, he's top three. Classic national radio the other day, right before our show and the hour before, one of the national hosts was like, Coming up next is Deshaun Watson, a top five quarterback in the NFL. They come back for break, and the co-host challenges him to name his top five. He, he didn't have the top five. Was not ready. Stammered, stumbled. Like, you just asked the question. You must have a top five. Mahomes, Rodgers, Watson. It's, it's a top three. Um, crazy. that. This, and, and, again, now is he now sitting out a year, and we know what can happen with a year of not playing and not being uh, part of a team and – Really not be. I mean, he, he was technically practicing, but not really. Uh, maybe he falls off a little bit, but yeah, this is an elite quarterback in the NFL who doesn't. Those don't come available necessarily very often. I mean, I say that, but then Brady and Rodgers have technically been available the last couple of years, I guess. Um, in, in his prime, this just doesn't happen. So you would expect a lot of teams to yeah be going after him. Now it sounded like I thought two hours ago, I thought it was over. Kyle Pitts, I thought broke the news. Like, he sent out a tweet, and I screenshotted it because I knew he'd delete it. He said, it's about to get it's about to get real scary in Atlanta with some emojis. I thought it was done. Did he mean they're getting Watson and they're going to have to cut 10 other guys? It's going to get real scary if you're on the team right now. I think he meant scary, like I'm they're, sure. they're going to be great. Uh, sure. But he deleted that very quickly. Uh, I did screenshot it, but I guess it's not done yet. Or maybe the team was like, hey, we're – Going to announce this in a different way, or hey, we haven't told Matt Ryan yet. I don't know, but it seemed like he was done to Atlanta. But I think the Saints believe they have him too. Get out down here, Silver Sevens on a Thursday. Great spot to watch the brackets unfold. Seventy-seven cent beers, bottles of Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra at both of the bars, the Bud Light Lounge and the Silver and Gold Bar. It's at Flamingo in Paradise. It's Silver Sevens. Uh, Boise is out, losing the eight-nine game to Memphis. 64-53. We'll get to Colorado's, Colorado State's uneven performance is there out as well. But on the way back, Adam mentioned more Raiders news. Well, this is a guy that the Raiders we think we're in on, but uh, Allen Robinson has chosen another team. Sign up for an A-Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, Boise State has never trailed by more than 13 points all season until today. Hickok left alone. Up ahead of the pack, it's Kijak for two. Kijak attacking, and with the left hand, can't finish. Dickenhart cleans it up. That was the efforted comeback by Boise, courtesy of CBS. They were down 19 at the break. As you heard, Andrew Catalan saying Boise had never been down by 13 or more. Or any more than 13 
the entire season. They played a terrible first half. They got the lead down to five or six inside of about five minutes, and then Memphis was able to close things out. And the story for the Mountain West Conference, and Adam, if you noticed, when I send over our trusty rundown, a lot of times I write it, a lot of it out first thing in the morning. Slug this NCAA scoreboard update. Is the Mountain West Conference 0-3 now? The answer is a resounding yes. Colorado State lost earlier in the day. We'll get to that against Michigan. They played a great first half. Second half, not so much. But Boise just was not competitive to start the game, and they couldn't gain enough ground to get back into it. And I'll throw out a couple of things. One, Dave Koken was on last week with us, and when we talked about how many teams deserve to be in from the Mountain West Conference, Dave's like, my power ratings say one. So he texted me earlier today. He's like, hmm, looks like I was right. <laughs> one. No. Now, get to your argument here in a second, because there's a lot of people who are going to be getting down on the Mountain West here. Um, the uh, the big fellow, the uh, the bald chubby guy, uh, Bear, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, who does stuff for ESPN. He pointed out, you know, going back to the Wyoming game, that double-digit Mountain West Conference seeds were 1-23, in 23, or are 1-23. in 23. Now, I think the, the easy narrative to jump to is the Mountain West Conference is overrated, was overrated, shouldn't have gotten four teams in. But then I also think of what you say all the time, but it's not a discussion you can have on Twitter because right. it's too nuanced, sure. which is this is a one-game sample. Who cares? Now, in this case... It's three games with three different teams. But to this point, the Mountain West Conference has... I mean, the Wyoming game was competitive. The Boise game got competitive in the second half. Colorado State was up big early, 28-13. And it was competitive down the stretch, but in the end, it's three losses. Well, I'll, I'll start with the, the argument about why the results don't really mean what people might think they do about the Mountain West by pointing out something that you just said that was, I think, incredibly inaccurate. Colorado State did not play a good first half. Colorado State made shots. And if you if you watched that game and you looked at halftime, I would hope that you bet a lot of money on Michigan in the second half. Michigan was a far better team in the first half than Colorado State was. Colorado State made shots. Michigan didn't. Michigan was 0 of 7. Colorado State had made eight three-pointers. They had outscored them by 24 at the three-point line. That wasn't going to continue. So, like, the the snap and, – and what I mean by that is the the snap narrative of, well, Mountain West Conference lost. They suck. They shouldn't have been there. Really? I mean, Brian Dutcher pointed out on uh, Saturday – or Friday, I guess it was, when we talked about, you know, the Mountain West probably going to have four teams in. Do they have to win to kind of justify that? And he said, well, you, would, you want to win, of course. You want to get wins in the tournament. But, you know, look back. It's a bunch of 8-9 games. Like, you you want to win those, but they're all toss-up games. They're all 50-50 games. It's not like you're going into the tournament as a bunch of 1-2 and two seeds and you're getting beat by 15-16 and 16 seeds, and what are they doing there? You want to be more competitive. You want to win those games. I think one of the flaws, flaws if you want to say that word of the Mount West Conference, is that it's a pretty strong defensive conference, especially right now. And you go into the tournament, and that, that doesn't always play. You have to score points. You have to get baskets in the tournament. Like, that is different. Um, yeah, you can make that easy narrative and say, the Mountain, the Mountain West, they stick because of this. They should have been there because of this. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. It's 
body of work during the season that gets you in or not. It's not what you do in the tournament, and that doesn't tell you what a team – the Big Ten was awesome last year. They sucked in the tournament. doesn't mean they weren't awesome. They were awesome. They had a bad weekend, and every game was an individual weekend. And, again, the Big Ten is 9-in this year. We'll see how they do it. They're already starting to do better. But to make the snap judgments, I think, is very silly. Enjoy 77-cent Bud Light bottles during Vegas Golden Knights games at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Final seconds. Colorado State backs off. Could we see another March run for Michigan? They take care of business in the first round, and they knock off Colorado State 75-63. to 63. The 11 seed advances. Cofield and Company. and Company. Michigan gets the job done against six-seeded Colorado State out of our uh, own Mountain West Conference, obviously UNLV in the Mountain West. Let's break down some of the early games, look ahead to the rest of the day as we've got a ton of coaches and former players along with us. We're uh, hoping to have Curtis Terry, the former Rebel, down here in the 2 o'clock hour. But right now let's talk to a guy who has uh, been all over college basketball most recently with Boston College and uh, Maryland, Texas A&M, Nebraska, Wichita State, Wyoming as well. Scott Spinelli with uh, B-Leave Podcast is up with Cofield and Adam Hill here in Vegas. How are you, Coach? Excellent. How are you guys today? Happy St. Paddy's Day. Happy St. Paddy's Day. Um, you know, we're starting to get into the discussion. This is kind of the micro discussion in Vegas about the Mountain West Conference coming out of the gates here. They got four teams in, and they're 0-3 so far. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I, first of all, that game against Michigan was uh, a game that I thought they had in hand there, right? Um, and then, you know, Michigan, you know, who is, you know, a Big Ten team, they switched to the zone. They, you know, the zone kind of, you know, gave them some stops, got them some stops, and then, then changed the momentum of the game. But, look, I, every game is really about the matchups, the style of play, the personnel, um, you know, and I think in, in these cases that we've seen so far with the Mountain West, you know, none of those games have worked out thus far. Um, but, again, you know, I think it's a very, very good conference, and I wouldn't, you know, um, lose any type of uh, faith in, uh, you know, what's gone on so far. What did you think of Michigan without Devontae Jones, and can they win if they don't have him? I think they can. I mean, look, the Big Ten, as you guys know, uh, was is very competitive. Michigan was playing very well late. Obviously, they had a little bit of a, you know, the, the, the you know tumultuous things that were going on there. Um, but then, you know, now that Coach Howard is, is, is uh, you know, is back, and I think the team really responded to him today. Um, you know, they, they're a very capable basketball team. And, you know, look, Hunter Dickinson is, is, is as good as anybody. I, I just think that, you know, Michigan, just because they've been battle-tested, they've been in the Big Ten, they've been in those games, um, you know, I think they're going to be a team. They got better all year, right? As a coach, you just want to tell your team, you know, it's all about winning, but it's more important about just getting better. You want to get better. I think Michigan's playing very well right now. So we haven't seen a whole lot of games yet. We're still getting the action started uh, on this morning. Well, Richmond comes out of the gate strong against Iowa here in the second half. But who's the best team that you've seen so far today? Oof, I'll tell you what. I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, and I was talking a lot about the South Dakota State-Providence game, and – you know, I've watched I've watched so much you know this year in terms of synergy and watching games from everywhere, and um, I thought South Dakota State was a very formidable opponent today with Providence. I thought that was even going to be a even a closer game. It was a one possession game with a minute to go, but 
Um, I thought Providence today, just the way they defended, um, you know, they got great overall team size, they're physical. They are one of the oldest teams in college basketball, you know, um, 23 plus years old. But I honestly thought South Dakota State, you know, um, had a real good chance there of winning. And I got to tell you, I was very, very impressed with Providence. And look, you know, Baylor's down two of their best players. And, you know, again, they came out today, they looked very, very good. And even Memphis, with the talent level that they have, you know, they were um, as good as they possibly could be in the first half. The second half, they kind of, you know, um, they weren't as sharp. But, you know, they're a very talented team. Uh, and they've got guys who are NBA players as well as does Gonzaga. So that's going to be an interesting matchup this next round. <laughs> Iowa hit two threes while, while you were giving that answer there. So they have tied it back up with Richmond here in the second half. Uh, you talked about Baylor. Is there a one seed? Uh, I thought going into the tournament they were the one. Uh, but is there a one seed you find particularly vulnerable, not necessarily today or tomorrow, uh, but maybe this first weekend or even uh, in the third round based on you know how they're playing right now or how they come into the tournament? Obviously, Baylor, as you mentioned, shorthanded. That might come into play in the tournament at some point. It didn't today. Yeah, no, I, I still – Look, you know, look, the culture of their program has been created. They're the defending national champs. So, again, they're going to have all of that going for them. But you've got to think to yourself, um, and then looking at that bracket, too, that at some point, um, you know, they're going to play uh, against some teams that, you know, it, it's going to catch up to them. I think St. Mary's in that bracket is a sleeper team. I think they're very good. I mean, look, when you look at what they did during the course of the season, Obviously, they're upperclassmen, late, uh, their top six players, three seniors, uh, three juniors, and they're one of the best defensive teams in that conference. And not only that, they played Gonzaga this year, and they held Gonzaga to 57 points, and they beat them by 10. And so we all know how explosive Gonzaga is. They're averaging close to 87 points per game. So for St. Mary's to do that, it just shows that if they get to that level, and they're dialed in and focused, which I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be a very difficult out in this tournament. Just kind of bouncing around, you know, throwing some teams out there. But um, what do you think of Kentucky? Obviously, uh, you know, some big star players that can't shoot at times. That is a, a struggle that we've seen with them uh, a couple times over the last couple of years, having a team that struggles shooting the ball. Uh, but how far can they go, especially if they don't make their threes? Well, I think Kentucky is, you know, built. Um, you know, they're very they're versatile, right? And, you know, uh, you know, I know this. I mean, the kid that they have that transferred in from Gonzaga, um, uh, Kellen Grady, I mean, he, you know, is as good a three-point shooter um, as there is. I mean, he left Davidson to go to Kentucky. Just think how good Davidson is right now yeah. from the three. But um, here's what I'll tell you about Kentucky. They're very talented. Um, they're obviously, the transfers um, have really given them a different look. But I will say that for me as a coach, you, know, you look at that bracket, a team like Purdue, uh, obviously we talked about St. Mary's, but teams that in the programs that have been built within, where those guys have come up through the classes, they're, they're very difficult out once they get to that, uh, you know, those juniors and senior you know, years because you know, there's chemistry, there's continuity, there's, there's you know, that type of familiarity with one another. And to me, those are the type of teams that are really dangerous um, and so when you talk about Kentucky, they've got all the pieces. But, again, they're going to be playing in some teams that are going to be um, built from within. And those are the type of teams that are uh, more complete, at least complete enough to beat a team like Kentucky. Let's talk about some of the other games today. Um, we pay attention pretty closely to the West Coast and San Francisco. What do you think of San Fran and Murray? 
Well, the losing the big kid right now, uh, you know, again, That's I think awesome. that, you know, is going to, uh, you know, it's going to hurt him a little bit, right? I mean, he's obviously, uh, you know, one of their best guys. And, I mean, think about, you know, losing him in the front court, um, you know, to the point where, you know, he was an all-conference guy. He's older. Um, it, you know, Yahin, is it Masak, Masalski? Is that his yeah. name? Yahin uh-huh. uh, Masalski. Um, so I don't know if, uh, you know, if that's going to pay it. You know, in this game, because Murray State is a team that's a little bit more of a versatile, undersized team. But I'm sure as San Francisco, if they do win in advance and they do play a team like Kentucky, they're going to miss him a lot. But I think this game against Murray State today is going to be a really good game. I I like San Francisco's team. I think it's a great matchup for them. Um, Again, I don't know if they'll miss, you know, the big fella as much in this game as they will if they advance and play against Kentucky. But I think they've got a real shot here against Murray State. Scott Spinelli with us here on Cofield and Company. He's the host of the Breakdown on uh, Believe Podcast, a college basketball analyst, most recently interim coach at BC, assistant coach, and uh, was actually an assistant, you know, back in the day in the Mountain West Conference, and uh, also a top level recruiter. Brought in uh, future stars like Chris Middleton and you know Jerome Robinson, Alex Len. Let's look at my bracket because I'm selfish. Um, I have UCLA going to the Final Four. I'm a little West Coast biased now that I've been out here for like 25, 26 years. Can UCLA make the run from the four? And uh, today they opened with Akron. You know what? I, I think they obviously can. Um, uh, you know, last year they were, you know, as good as anybody. I mean, they, they had, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity for them to win last year. The ball didn't, you know, bounce their way there late. But I'll tell you what. I mean, I think UCLA has got all the pieces. I mean, the only thing that would concern me about UCLA is, you know, I think some of those teams in there, like a St. Mary's, um, you know, a physical, hard-nosed, you know, half-court team, you know, they're going to be in a close game against them. Um, you know, even if they, you know, punch over, and, and let's say it's Purdue, or let's say it's Kentucky, I mean, Purdue is really good, too. So I don't know if they've got an easy road in that bracket. I mean, at some point, you know, if Baylor keeps winning, um, you know, I think this game coming up, North Carolina-Marquette is going to be a really good game. I think North Carolina, if they beat Marquette, I think they got a real chance to beat Baylor. But to answer your question about UCLA, they have all the pieces. Um, they've been there. You know, um, they got a little bit on probably a chip on their shoulder getting the you know getting the four seed here. But they do have some teams here that could give them problems in that bracket if those teams win in advance. What did you think of the double overtime game last night with Notre Dame and Rutgers? And follow up on that: How tough is it now going to be for Notre Dame to go all the way to San Diego? They're catching four against Alabama, that game is tomorrow. Well, Coach Bray, first of all, excellent game last night. It was really a fun game to watch. I mean, both those two teams played their hearts out, and you kind of feel for, for Rutgers having to lose like that. But, you know, I've had a chance to coach uh, many years in the ACC against Coach Bray as an assistant and as a, you know, a head coach here. And I can tell you, you know, offensively, Notre Dame is a very, very difficult team to play against. And the reason why is because part of it's recruiting, uh, the other part of it is they have a, a team that really uh, is taught to read and react. So no matter how you play them defensively, if you're not fundamentally sound, you know, to, a, to every position, uh, on every possession, um, they're very savvy and they understand how to make you pay for it. So, again, with the way the game is today, guys, you know, there's no secret to why 10 in this, out of the top 10 three-point field goal percentage teams in the country – seven of them in the NCAA tournament. And 
Notre Dame is built on skill. San Diego, um, I don't think it's as much of a, um, you know, a trip that I think it's going to wear them down. I mean, I think they're a cerebral, skilled, offensive team. Coach Bray does an unbelievable job of getting those guys to play to their strengths. Um, can they go win the national title? I'm not sure about that, but you know, they're a team that's very dangerous because offensively they're so good. And if they could maybe get a little bit sharper defensively, um, you know, they could be a very difficult out here too against Alabama. Coach, thanks for the spot. We appreciate it. Tell people in Vegas about your podcast. Thank you so much for having me today, guys. There he is, Scott Spinelli. Podcast, Believe Podcast. Check it out. It's on the Believe Network. It's the breakdown and uh, – Scott Spinelli, former assistant at BC and Wyoming and Wichita and Nebraska, Texas A&M, Maryland as well. We flip the page, get into some of the uh, legal issues out there. We'll uh, get to Deshaun Watson and the latest with uh, Watson. And, you know, that stuff's still hanging over his head as all these teams are lining up to bring in the 26-year-old quarterback as Xavier Pope, our attorney out of Chicago, joined us every Thursday. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. We love the big dance. We just spent six minutes yelling about just awful prognosticating during the games. We'll get into that a little later on as Curtis Terry is going to be in here at Silver 7s, the former Rebel. But let's get back into some of the big football news and start off with a Little Deshaun Watson is uh, Xavier Pope's nice enough to join us a little earlier in the day. Our uh, attorney expert out of Chicago. How you doing, buddy? What's up, Steve? A whole lot, and I'm not going to say I'm shocked, but you know we have talked so much about Deshaun Watson and his legal issues, and then the grand jury elects not to move forward. And lo and behold, look at this! Now you've got, now you've got like ten NFL teams that wanted to kick the tires on Deshaun Watson. Uh, it looks like he's down to three or four. Are you just fascinated watching this thing unfold? It's uh, the NFL is a business, and if Deshaun Watson had kneeled for social racial injustice, you know maybe the situation would be different. But instead, he has twenty two existing civil uh, suits versus him, uh, and the league is continuing is going on and. Um, he's now uh, the princess at the ball, uh, even causing destabilization within the Cleveland Browns organization uh, as a result of uh, pursuing him uh, with Baker Mayfield and the Browns and the request that Baker has made. Uh, so it's it's a fascinating case study uh, in the NFL uh, and not really caring about any off the field, any transgressions, as long as you're not standing up for the equal rights of African-Americans in, in the United States of America. Yeah. Funny, not the right word, but funny how that how that works. Should the NFL step in and still suspend him for like four or six games? This show is 100% against the NFL being judge, jury, and executioner on this stuff to make up for the justice system. Well, I mean, the NFL and the criminal justice system are two different things. Uh, in terms of any punishment, that it's under the, the, the league's conduct policy and the commissioner has some sort of discretion in terms of how that is meted out. So, and so as such, there's the lower standard of proof in terms of any investigation that the league might find, even probably a lower standard of proof than maybe a civil case might bring, which is in terms of preponderance of the evidence. So if the NFL believes in, in terms of looking at the, the, uh, 
all the different things that it gathers in its investigation. They feel as if uh, it could be potentially damaging to the name of the sport and, and the marketing and of the sport, then they're going to go ahead and make a decision. And now whether that's an official decision, like, like, like uh, say a commissioner's exempt list, which it did not exercise in terms of Deshaun Watson, or whether it's uh, a blackballing as it does to Colin Kaepernick, the NFL still makes a decision to to punish or leave out players from playing in the National Football League. The mechanism really doesn't matter. What the results is who's who's on the field and who isn't. If you if you're a representative of uh, Deshaun Watson, and and I'm sure that this could come up if the league tries to do something with him. Wouldn't you argue in, in a potential grievance or however it was heard that he already had a 16-game suspension? Well, well, he did not have a 16-game suspension, though. I mean, he still was paid by the league, so that's that's never going to be under us. And he still was able to, to, to work out on his own. And also, this is something that he and the team agreed to, um, according to certain reports. So it doesn't appear as if there was a one-sided decision to keep Deshaun Watson off the field. Once again, he was not under the league's commissioner's exempt list. It was just something that you stay over there, you handle that over here, and you know we're going to go forward as a team. And those those two parties didn't even want to be together in the first place. So Deshaun Watson got an opportunity to, to keep his body and heal up from some of his prior injuries and, and he make himself fresh for um, for the, the next season and also continue to get paid. Um, Deshaun Watson made off like a bandit, in my opinion. Um. A lot of a lot of uh, issues around this, and a lot of other things to get to. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, if a team does bring him in, it looks like somebody's going to maybe Atlanta, maybe New Orleans. If there is issues where he goes uh, along these same lines, if if more women uh, have complaints against him, if there are more allegations in the new city that he goes to, would a team have some sort of um, liability? in terms of knowing his history, knowing what has been accused of him, and then bringing him into a community? No, I mean, because that's not necessarily directly related to the acts of, and that's outside of his scope of duty as in terms of playing, being a quarterback sure. back for that particular team. So it would have to be something that was, say, sanctioned or sponsored by the team or any some team-affiliated activity for to liability to incur for that particular team. So. Um, the, the liability does not follow him in terms of his personal and private affairs. Are you, you going to get run over out there? <laughs> no, it's a busy street out here <laughs> uh, next to my, my condo. So. Xavier Pope joining us as he does uh, each week here on the show. Um, I, I know I just saw this on your Twitter feed. It just popped up. I just wanted to – I don't know what there really is to get into. Uh, the kid that was driving in that accident in, in Texas was 13 years old? Yeah, that's a shame. Uh Big pile up in Texas, uh, killed nine people. Turns out, uh, according to transportation authorities, the thirteen-year-old kid, thirteen-year-old kids obviously shouldn't be driving cars. I want to know a little bit more about what what caused that thirteen-year-old to drive a car. What were where, where were the parents? And uh, and it's just a really tragic uh, set of circumstances. And my condolences goes to all the people who've lost, on the families of they've lost loved ones' lives. Just an awful, awful story, of course. Uh, Brittany Griner, her detention in Russia, I guess we were calling it, uh, until May 19th it has been extended. Uh, what, What is your thoughts on where this case stands? And, and I guess one of my questions to, to follow up on this is, like, if I, – I understand the outrage of people that think she's being targeted politically, and, and I get all that, and I think it's very possible she is – 
if she's guilty, should we be still outraged at this at this story? Well, first and foremost, it was a, a state media that reported the story. So we are we we just the, the United States just stripped the favorite nations from trade partner from Russia and Belarus. I mean, we we really do, and they've pulled out members of the embassy in Moscow. We we don't even know whether this is even true. The report, right. per se, and we whether which we don't even know if if this is some sort of the the latest what's happening in our case whether that's something that's sound doctrine of that particular court to even analyze whether that was a proper legal ruling to keep her until may 19th and we also don't know some of the 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 inner legal workings of the system in that court to determine whether the proceedings that are she's engaged in is even fair i mean there's so many different layers to this for us to say okay if they convict her whether they should convict it or not well we don't really know what type of proof we're being offered and whether she was granted due process there's so many elements outside of the, the american court system and we're dealing with a foreign adversary potentially yeah a lot i mean i, I think that's going to be the, the case for a while on the story of just not knowing right we just have to assume a lot of the facts of this and a lot of the details because we're not going to know the truth and we can't really trust anything that comes out from there um, but a cr obviously a crazy story going on there as well. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like the Kimye issue is is like up your alley, but also not up your alley. Uh, it, it's it's a great pop culture story. It could potentially be a legal story. Uh, wh what is going on right now in that case? Obviously, uh, Kanye suspended from Instagram now for bullying somebody else uh, for. Yeah. Uh, for Trevor Noah uh, going after him, it's it's a there's a lot here. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, you, you know, Kanye posting a video of decapitating Pete Davidson, then legal, then then Kim Kardashian being determined to be legally single. Um, even now, reports that Pete Davidson branded himself um, with um, my girlfriend's a, a lawyer when she's actually not a lawyer, <laughs> uh, and she's under some apprentice program and she passed the first year the baby bar exam which first year law students that are not from ABA approved law schools take um she has a long way to go to there so um whether Kanye has violated some law that that doesn't appear to be um, there in terms of harassment but it's a really dangerous and really weird celebrity situation that and then there's also four kids that are involved in all of this in terms of what's being posted on TikTok and what Kanye's rights as a father might be in the given this situation. So, and then including them texting back and forth and Pete Davidson with the peace sign in the bed. I'm in bed with your wife. I mean, wow, this is so much stuff. And it's the kind of things that keep keep us talking about it every single day because we love pop coach. We love to be in the lives of the Kardashians. And so see you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a crazy, you wait, you don't think that what Kanye has done uh, on social media has amounted to harassment? Uh, not in terms of when you can say, say what harassment is. I think that's a really vague terms in terms of what the law is concerned. Uh, has he made terroristic threats, which basically means that you've said something that potentially means that you may be violent towards someone? Uh, at this point, it doesn't it, 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 I'm going to do something to you or it, some, some of the things he said to D.L. Hughley, I, I know where you live. I mean, those things are all kind of bluster and talk i mean 
to be on social media, but what specific steps has he taken to carry out that threat? We don't see him, you know, doing anything in terms of getting close to him or showing any other videos that would intimate that he's actually going to carry out any of those threats on social media. So until Kanye West takes a, a further step to be able to act as if he is going to harm anybody involved, I don't think it crosses the threshold in terms of a criminal complaint. And I haven't seen anything in terms of a criminal investigation or uh, anything that's been filed in terms of order protection against Kanye at this point. So uh, right now, it's it's still it's a messy situation. Some of the things that Kanye has said are absolutely problematic, but it had it hasn't necessarily crossed over to the, the, the criminal realm yet. Xavier Pope is up with Cofield and company. I know you were watching the Rutgers basketball game last night. What do you think? Disappointed, Steve, because Rutgers is never good at anything in terms of sports. <laughs> we're great academically. And the school has championed that for all this time. We get, you know, Rutgers beats uh, South Florida in the game and beats Louisville in the game back in 2006 and look, he becomes second in the country. Like, oh, my God, Rutgers might make the national championship game. And, of course, it doesn't happen. They lose two games in a row, wound up in the Texas Bowl. And that, that was Greg Schiano, and that was the best Rutgers could ever celebrate since other than, say, Vivian Stringer, absolutely great in that women's basketball program. Uh, rest in peace, her. But we haven't really seen – anything on that that front and then last night double overtime lose at the end just really heartbreaking people say march madness but it's march sadness for those in piscataway it's also march sadness this is a terrible transition but for a former Rutgers running back the gus bus gus edwards who had his car uh basically vandalized and a bunch of stuff was stolen he was at a strip club so i think he got robbed of like uh, about $135,000 worth of stuff, and now he's going after the strip club saying that valet didn't protect his car. Does he have a chance here in a suit? <laughs> the, the wild thing about that is he actually might have some kind of claim uh, being able to uh, protect him his, his valuables and his property. But on the, on the flip side of that, I mean, typically you'll see with valet postings that they're not responsible for any item that have been lost while it's, while it's under the care. And there's some Bailey Baylor... Um, related law in relation to that in terms of what can be what's posted and what what, what amount can be particularly protected in a, in a given state. So doesn't look too great for him, but um, it sounds like an exciting case. Um, and they may be uh, uh, making it rain in court, uh, but may, may not necessarily be uh, wind up being dry at the end. So let's come uh, full circle with some another football story. I don't know if you saw it, but Carl Nassib defensive end openly gay. First to admit that, not that you're admitting something, but in the NFL. He's going to be released. Should he have an interest in going to Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, or Miami, where Florida right now is working on that don't say gay bill? I think that Carl Nassib should have the right to do whatever he wants, um, just as any other person in his position as LGBTQ+, number one. Number two... Um, what impact would he have on those teams to be able to, to sign players um, to increase value or to make decisions as a football club? If he's not able to directly impact those teams by him not coming and they're able to sign and bring up the next man, which the NFL is all, all about, can happily not have you a part of what's going on with their team or their sport. Um, he's at a disadvantage by uh, would be by disincluding those teams instead of going to those places and potentially uh, raising his platform more for change. So if I were him, I would 
go to those places as opposed to not going to those places and then using those places as a platform for, for social change. But I'm not him. He's a free person able to make the decisions on his own. Xavier, what's going on with Twitter spaces? Oh, we're here uh, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, all the time, talking about the latest wranglings that are going on uh, across the NFL, what's going on with Baker Mayfield, the Sean Watson situation, uh, and the, late, the latest, and what's trending on, uh, on right on, on Twitter's rap platform. Xavier, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on early. Love you guys, man. Peace. Have a great weekend. Love you, too. Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago. We get back to the NCAA tournament. Games being played right now include 116 with Gonzaga and Georgia State. That game is tied at 21 up. We'll get the football frenzy in here. And Curtis Terry, the former Rebel, is sitting with us here at Silver 7. 77 cent beers. We're not drinking them right now. Maybe later. But you get bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Ultra all through March Madness. They got two great bars here. And of course, you can open the mobile account or just bet straight up at the window at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. 22-ounce Bud Light, Budweiser, or Michelob Ultra, plus two hot dogs and two bags of chips, all for just $7.77 at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino.